Hello and welcome to the City View podcast here from the City AM newsroom. I'm editor Andy Sylvester. Usually about now I whistle through the headlines in the city, but a Shell's Pure Gym IPO here, a Rent-A-Kill takeover there. Frankly, the only thing anybody's talking about is the Omicron variant. News that the red list is going to be scrapped will no doubt be welcome news for anybody planning to be in South Africa for the Christmas season, but it appears that the drumbeat towards new restrictions shows no sign of getting quieter. Indeed, today I've heard rumours that crowds might even be banned from football in the new year, and one senior Tory has told a fellow journalist the chance for lockdown in the new year is about 8 out of 10. Joyous Christmas news. Of course, this is all predicated on the idea that Omicron is particularly dangerous, evidence of which there remains, frankly, very little. But nonetheless, rather than focus on that, today we've got a feature-length interview with Dr. Savas Savuri, partner and chief economist at Tosca Fund and one of the city's most colourful characters. Savas is never shy of an opinion or two, and that was certainly the case when we spoke to him at the end of last week. Savas, take it away. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us on The City View. Thank you for having me. Um, let's kick off with the thing that most people are talking about, frankly, which is the December Monetary Policy Committee. Um, I think about three weeks ago when we lived in that glorious time before any of us had heard of Omicron, um, I can barely still spell it, but nonetheless, Omicron, um, uh, rate rise is pretty much nailed on in December. What's your feeling now as to what we might see uh, on the 16th? My feeling is there won't be a rate rise. Uh, if you were to ask me what I would be doing if I was in the MPC, it would be I would have raised rates in November mm-hmm. and failing that in December. The uh, You mentioned the this new variant. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. The economics behind it are inconsequential. We've learned to live with these lockdowns. The first lockdown was a shock to the system. The economy has been wonderfully adept at dealing with these things. So if if the idea is that this will slow, slow the economy down, therefore you can't raise rates, that's absurd. Mm. And the, the, the later you raise rates, the higher the peak will be when it arrives. So start early to peak lower. There's a... Uh, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but an old tale that you once had Mark Carney on a dartboard, um, a picture of, I should specify. Um, Andrew Bailey was not the most popular man in the city in November when the MPC didn't raise rates. Did you, I mean, apart from the economics of it, in terms of the management of expectations, did you share in that criticism? Of course, I was vocal because if you, if you look at the the way that the market had been pricing in the rate move or not, it had taken its guidance from the MPC members and and they, and they were they were flip flopping mm. around, and so what you saw was this sort of this sort of abstract piece of art as the expectations the expectation lines were moving higher sharply then down. It, it, okay, is it a case of a lost credibility? No, it's it's it's. Taking a bit of it's taken a bit of shine off credibility, mm. but bear in mind the same thing. The same thing happened with Powell in the US. I mean, the only place that seems to be uh, dead set on not raising rates is the ECB, uh, and that speaks volumes for just how badly the eurozone economies are embroiled in in COVID. Because for them, lockdowns deny them money because it denies them tourism for the most part in the south. Yeah, and in the UK, actually, <laughs> staycationing in the UK actually uh, is an economic boon. 
Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. And there were certainly an awful lot of people who were thinking that the travel restrictions last summer, which seemed to take forever to um, to relax into the UK, were, were a part of trying to drive that staycation boom. Staying on, I guess, the UK economic performance, the recovery in the wider economy, um, we're heading into 2022 now. I think you're probably right that, well, you're almost certainly right that the, the economics of a new variant do not necessarily shape things except for you know, individual pubs and sandwich shops if we do head for, for plan B. But you remain pretty bullish on the UK's recovery for next year? I, I, you don't need to sort of look ahead, look at the current data on vacancies. Uh, again, the same, um, same set of data can be interpreted differently. Uh, there are those who think that the surging vacancies to one and a half million never seen before figure is a cause for concern because it's going to create a wage price start to spiral. To my mind, it's a sign of just how the economy has adapted to COVID. Logistics has been booming. Warehousing has been booming. Uh, post, Post-COVID, and there'll be a day where we look behind us at this, you're going to have reshoring of manufacturing capacity to secure supply chains, mm-hmm. short supply chains for the environment. There's going, to, there's going to be a manufacturing boom for all sorts of reasons, not least because we're going to start demanding that dirty cars taken off the road in favor of cleaner ones. And so the, the UK economy is set very, very fair. Uh, and it was surprised positively. A, a weak pound, and let's be honest, the pound is is a, a manifestation of market expectations of a mm-hmm. of, of no rate rise this month. A weak pound isn't hurting the UK economy; it's hurting those economies that we buy from. We are a net uh, buyer of goods from the eurozone, the EU. We are net travellers when it comes to tourism. Mm-hmm. So don't feel sorry for the UK when the pound goes down. Feel sorry for Spain and for the Republic of Ireland, for Portugal and for Greece and for Malta and for Bulgaria. But let's go back to Mark Carney. I always ask myself, what would the uh, the uh, MPC of 2008 be doing now? The great, that wonderful MPC mm. with Mervyn King and Charlie Bean, etc. And the answer is that they would have raised rates. I'm convinced that because they would have seen that this is not a recession. A recession is classical. It's when industry or industries close Permanently, steel mills, coal mines, textile mills, mm-hmm. uh, shipyards, with no compensating recovery elsewhere. And also when those things happen, they tend to be very regional specific. No one part of the UK has been uh, impacted by this, worse than any other part. Uh, almost everything that's closed down is a soft close. There'll be a day when, as we've seen, when we couldn't go to Wembley or to uh, arenas, they opened up and they're going to open again. So no industry has been um, has been hard closed by this. It's not a recession, and and that's the thing I I've been banging on about. That <laughs> this this that in Europe it will be a recession because tourism will never return to what it was hitting before two twenty, which means the countries for which tourism uh, represents at least a, a, a fifth, sometimes a quarter of, of of current account income and GDP and employment, they have to basically reorientate. What is the future of Spain and Portugal? and Italy and Greece and Malta and Cyprus, even Bulgaria. These, these, these are issues never, never asked, which explains why the ECB have no intention of raising rates. Yeah, and that reorientation takes more time than, than they probably had before. before recession. And by the way, in the, meantime, in the meantime, just on the subject of, of I mentioned sterling, yeah. look, at the Turkish lira, look at the Turkish lira. It's been devalued by the, by the week. Now, what that means is that you've now got, not only do you have an impairment to travel and tourism that's going to be permanent. We're going to have a, a permanently more competitive rival. And before long, Egypt, for which 
uh, travel and tourism is a big component of uh, current account earnings. Egypt will devalue. Mm. And who knows, who knows where it stops? Does Bulgaria use its option to devalue? It, this is not a story that is being spoken. And one that you think is going to be the story of 2022 or 2023 or what's oh, your time frame? Oh, 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 this, is, this is going to be a story in the same way that if you go back to 2008 and the crisis that hit the UK, it took two years before the, the Eurozone suffered the same um, sort of existential problems. The banking crisis in Spain, it began with Ireland, then you had Spain, Italy, Greece, Cyprus. The, the ECB is incredibly slow moving. And so too is the general sort of apparatus of the European Union. In uh, we were very lucky. Look, you 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 will know, or you may know that mm. I was a supporter of Brexit. Uh, we were we were very fortunate that this crisis struck when it did. Uh, look, let me let me put this, this question to you. Just imagine if if COVID had struck not in the third week of March of 2020, but in the first week of December 2019. We had no government. Mm -hmm. Boris Johnson was running a Tory party where it was divided. The DUP abandoned him. Corbyn was in charge of, of Labour. We were still effectively in in the European Union because we weren't we weren't yeah. transitioning out of it. We, it would have been a disaster. We would not. I'd, if if you think I'm being upbeat about the UK, <laughs> the counterfactual is we would be eating dirt now had this crisis struck four months earlier. The good news is that when it did strike, we had a majority government, whatever competent that government happens to be, a great chancellor who was installed a month earlier. Mm -hmm. one, uh, uh, Javid was kicked out. I mean, whatever you think about Dominic Cummings, and the man is a buffoon, a self, a self a sanctimonious buffoon. If he fell out with Javid and that caused the arrival of Sunak, we were, he did a service. <laughs> By the way, when, when, the, when, the, when this crisis struck, interest rates had room to be cut. Banks yeah. were incredibly macro potentially um, uh, 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 well uh, balance sheeted. Yep. The housing market never been stronger. The labour market never been stronger. Yes, the the high street was being um, egressed into by e-commerce, and so were shopping centres. But that was going on beforehand. Okay, so we were very lucky. We had gilt yields which were uh, wonderfully benign. We had inflation that was moderate. We almost on every measure. We couldn't have been better placed uh, when this when this crisis struck. With one caveat, had it struck four months earlier, in the middle, yeah, we, with with Jeremy Corbyn in charge and John McDonnell all, all there, so you, 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 you never know what that does what, to the politics of things what, either. What, what, what you'd have had because you couldn't you couldn't have an elect you couldn't have a snap election because you can't have an election with COVID. You couldn't have a postal ballot. Yeah, so you'd have had the the infamous GNU that wonderful mythical beast called the, the government of national unity. So you, you've got, you'd have had Corbyn and uh, the, you'd have had Blackford in, in, a, in a sort of GNU cabinet with Johnson with effectively no real bedrock of support in the Tory party because that would get back in before the election of, um, mm. of uh, was it December the it was December 13th. December uh, something in that region, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Tory party was still ridden between Remainers and, and, and Leavers. So Johnson would not have had a, it would have been awful, awful. And uh, uh, again, it's better to be lucky than good, but we were both <laughs> lucky and good. <laughs> lucky and good will take. Um, I was just going to ask you about actually just, just one more question before we, we get on to, to other leadership um, in a different part of London. Um, you talk, Obviously, you talked about 
recessions in places like Spain and, and Italy and, and the structural changes that those economies will have to make post-COVID. Bullish about the UK, the city, new data out uh, this morning suggesting that new emerging markets being found at speed by financial and professional services organizations, as well as strengthening relationships um, with the US. I'm, there's so much talk in politics about post-Brexit arrangements, about trade deals. It seems to me that for all the noise around Westminster, the city, the square mile, UK businesses are just getting on with the new reality that they find themselves in and already doing the things that, you know, people have been, in theory, politicians sort of are trying to give the impression that they they can grant. Well, it, it, you, you put it perfectly that the, the, the economy and finance work despite government, not because of it. And it, there's a sort of natural momentum behind the the UK that it took a lot of uh, hard work to get to. The, the horrible, incendiary, divisive supply-side reforms of the 80s the restructuring. Remember those hard closes, those coal mines, shipyards, steel, steel mills. They they destroyed communities. The, the the workers who were laid off never really worked again because they, they couldn't get the the highly union the high salaries that being unionized. They were skilled manual and they had skills that were non-transferable. This time round, whenever I hear about um, a department store closing or a a restaurant closing down, I know that everyone work who worked in those former businesses had transferable skills to the internet economy, mm. to dark kitchen, to delivery. Are they good jobs? They're the same type of job. It's like for like in terms of income. Okay? So this is, a, this, is a, this is light years away from what we had. I'm 55. I know recessions. I've, I've not studied them only. I've, I've lived through them mm. and, you, and you learn from them. And uh, it, look, the, the City of London can look forward to the fact that uh, when – Japan, which is now just a, a, a dot in the, um, in Asia, inconsequential dot in, the, in Asia. When it was at its high watermark in, say, 1990, it had about one and a half million square feet of office space directly. The Nomuras and the Michis and the IBJIs and you could go on, Nikos. The Australians and the Canadians and more importantly, the Chinese are not even close to one and a half square million each. So yeah. we, we estimate using reliable data and you've got Probably two and a half million square feet of take up from these, these Arivistas. Yeah. And I'm just, I could continue naming other parts, the Brazilian <laughs> banks. Mm. The, the important thing is that rumors of the death of the, uh, the city of London have long been overdone. Well, it's, the funny thing is that JP Morgan, Bloomberg, and, um, Goldman Sachs all threatened to leave London if the British voted to, for Brexit. Since they made that threat and since the vote was was made, all three have taken a million new square feet. Mm. <laughs> but built, but it's, it, it, if it wasn't so funny, it would be very unfunny. To paraphrase Mark Twain, yeah, um, reports of the city's demise may, may yeah, well have yeah. been exaggerated. We, we and we haven't looked... Uh, if, you, if the question going forward is, where does China sit in all this? China is... Uh, and all the flip-flopping that you've seen with the Fed and the MPC... You've seen nothing like that in China. They haven't, they haven't, everything they've done has been, has been meticulous. Mm. And one thing that doesn't get noticed is the way that their currency is being managed in the most exquisite way. They're pushing their currency up in trade-weighted terms. The, the pound is part of the, it's one of the satellite currencies 
in China's um, uh, management. So basically means guilt yields. Guilt yields will remain modest because China has, has, has deemed the pound as being worthy of being in its basket. Hmm. So to the Australian dollar, Canadian dollar. And that's the thing that doesn't get, the, you cannot, can I just make this point about yeah. the base rate? The base rate will go up. If it doesn't go up this month, it will go up um, three, two, three to four times next year to 1%. Who knows? It will peak at 1.75. That's your so peak, 175. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they raised it in November, it would be 1.6. So the, okay. the longer they delay it, the, but here's the thing. Don't read through from a rising base rate to rising guilt yields. Don't read through the rising base rate to rising mortgage rates. There is so much dis disruptive financial technology out there. So many new platforms looking to buy market share in the mortgage market that the availability and affordability of, of mortgages will improve so that what you get effectively is the base rate moving up, but mortgage rates very likely actually staying where they are, if not going down. And guilt yields also defying the upward move in the base rate. This idea that somehow they, they all move in lockstep is made by people who don't understand the, the, the sort of individual dynamics between the three markets. So, and at some point, the pound, the pound will look, I was working, uh, rather naively in finance in 92 when the pound left the RM. It took four years, four hard years for it to recover all the ground lost in 92. But then I did it, did it recover the ground, lost it by, by, um, 1998, the pound was buying more Deutschmarks and more French francs than it had done whilst in the RM. Now it's been five years since the referendum, mm -hmm. but bear in mind, we've had political chaos here, completely unforced errors. Now who would have foreseen that the 2017 election that Theresa May called yeah. would be so badly campaigned, so badly campaigned by her mm. that it, she, she, uh, drew defeat from the jaws of victory. And that didn't help the pound. Then you had COVID and the amplification of concerns about the, look, this is going to sound really insensitive. And this is, a, this is a, clearly a medical crisis, mm. but whatever you think about my insensitivity, you, I've got to be objective. The UK economy has done in aggregate very well from this. And let me just go back to the bank of England. I was shocked, shocked. And it was inexplicable why Andy Haldane left the Bank of England. Mm. Right? And I think that he had the audacity, the honesty to say that Bank of England research had shown that by November of 2020, in aggregate, UK households had saved a quarter of a trillion pounds. Yeah. A number that now will almost certainly be around three quarters of a trillion pounds. Okay. That's un that is undeployed capital. Yeah. Okay, that is going to start moving into the economy, creating inflation. That's why you need to raise rates because you've got this, this huge fiscal shock, positive shock. You need a monetary break on it. Contrast that with the US. We've not touched on the US. The Americans have been printing money for fun. You've got Biden doing it, the Federal Reserve doing QE at a rate that no one ever seen before. There is going to be a manifest problem in the US where stagflation takes hold. So you've got the Eurozone imitating Japan with deflation and Stagnant economies. The UK set there, mm -hmm. and I'm not. I'm not eulogising. And yep. in the US, by the way, we haven't even touched upon cryptocurrencies, where <laughs> a great deal of this sort of free money's gone into. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a, there is the at its at its at its peak. The subprime problem in the US was in the region of what three trillion dollars. Yeah, mm. this crypto bubble is greater than that. 
I am and, and in, like, inclined to agree that it's underspoken of, shall we say, the bubble in crypto. And, you know, and, and the thing is, you mentioned Mark Twain. Mark Twain was a great contrarian. Yeah, so too was almost every other scientist. The to 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 uh, decry as a bubble the crypto market is to is to be accused of being a dinosaur. When it goes, it'll go big. And there's there's no, there's no I'm often asked what is the right price for Ethereum or well that, there, Bitcoin. there isn't one. And I say I say is zero. I'll say, and Joe, you know, it's the thing: the cryptocurrencies were born because of the arrival of blockchain. Blockchain is real. It's as real as the internet is. Mm. The thing about blockchain is that the arrival of blockchain that then created this frenzy for cryptocurrency has allowed central banks, and Bailey has said it, and Powell has said it, and the Chinese have said it. They are going to start digitalizing their legitimate currencies. So, central bank digital currencies are coming. Now, you can't have. Uh, track and trace currencies for the pound, for instance, or the one or the dollar, and still allow cryptocurrencies to circulate because the grey economy would simply move into those markets. Mm. So you've got, to, you've got to, if you if you are telling the, us that you're going to digitalize your currency, you're also telling us uncoded that you're going to, you're going to criminalize cryptocurrencies. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to hard lock exchanges. And who's done that? The Chinese have been the first yeah. to, to hard close their crypto market. Uh, the, the, the week that that happened, El Salvador adopted uh, Bitcoin, <laughs> and that got bigger publicity. Now, yeah. How absurd is that? Uh, it's like when, the, when Zimbabwe went to the US dollar. That's not an endorsement of the dollar. It just shows you how rubbish the economy of Zimbabwe is. <laughs> yeah, quite. Um, no, I do get carried away. No, I do no, get carried away. no I do it's good to get carried away on these things because, I mean, we've been banging on for a while around around cryptocurrencies and you know you say when it goes if it goes it's going to go big and or when it goes it will go big um and of course the nature of it is that there's absolutely no kind of consumer protection but, uh, in there and a lot of people get burnt and, that's it, and, and you've hit the nail on the head when 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 uh Bradford and bingley went and northern rock went when washington mutual went when when the banking crisis hit in 208 you could there were, you there were things to give money to you mm. could recapitalize institutions so you could Central banks and exchequers uh, could, could come to the rescue. How do you come to the rescue when you've got tens of millions of individual investors? Do you, do you reward them for their recklessness and create moral hazard? You can't. No, of course not. So this is a bigger problem looming than 208. Speaking of looming problems, you're an Arsenal fan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, well, I as a Wimbledon fan have got a newfound interest in Arsenal because we had young Aaron Ramsdale on loan, who became a bit of a club legend down there in Southwest London. Um, go on. You talked about the leadership of, of Carney and Bailey and various others. What's, what's your verdict on Arteta so far this year? Well, I, I was at the Spurs game when we uh, we beat them three one, and mm. that was a turning point. We had two bad defeats. Uh, one word about Arteta. Uh, if, if George Graham was at the Arsenal, he wouldn't be playing uh, Granite Saka. Mm. He would have, he would have, he would have, he would have got rid of him the moment he antagonised supporters. Um, so there are players. Arsenal have got a great young group of uh, lads, really good. A lot of them are uh, going to break into the England team, for instance. Mm. But you've got some real, real dinosaurs, and he should get rid of them. And uh, I uh, hope you're listening, uh, Mikel, mate. Just get rid of Zaka. <laughs> well, uh, we'll make sure he's uh, he's flagged. Hopefully, the the Rams that are referenced and the Arteta reference will pop no, no, up on look, Arsenal PR. Look, he's he, he's been a revelation, and Arsenal have long looked for someone in that position to replace the greats of. We've had a long, long barren period. 
in, in between between the uh, sticks, as it were. Well, I've got um, <laughs> a very old bet on of fifty quid for him to be the England keeper in the twenty twenty two World Cup. So I remain hopeful, and I can assure you the odds are pretty good on that. Um, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I told you, Savas was never shy of an opinion, um, but opinions as a rule worth listening to. That's all from us at City View. We'll be back tomorrow.